Do you know, what is it about moths? They see a light, they fly towards it, they just can't help themselves. And sooner or later, if they're not careful, they are going to get their wings burnt on the candle flame. Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. Yeah, if anybody has any comments, questions or suggestions, please email me on jim at themaltedmuse.com and of course there's the website, themaltedmuse.com. Now I'm going to be going to a uh, whiskey festival soon and I'm really excited. Whiskey festivals are great things. They're full of wonder, they're full of wisdom, but they can also be places full of danger and lost opportunity. Why? Because whiskey is mainly alcohol and that can have a bad effect on us if we're not very careful. And I've also been thinking to myself, for some people, it might be the first whiskey festival they go to. So I thought it'd be a good idea to give a rough guide on how to survive a whiskey festival. I thought this is not only for the sake of safety, but to help get the most out of the experience. Now, obviously, you can choose to ignore this guide, but that is both your choice and your responsibility. So let's break it down. Stage one, before the event. Long before the event, Start getting some ideas as to what you want from the event. What whiskies is it that you want to taste? Who's going to be there? What questions do you want answered? Now this will require some research and time, but believe me, it pays off on the day. Try and plan some sort of order and priority and write it down. But leave room for those little unexpected treats. See, the idea is to get a rough plan of the essentials, but with space and with flexibility. And this comes back to setting the plan and knowing what you want from it. It may well be that you want to target a particular type of whiskey. I can remember going to a festival once, thinking to myself, today I'm going to be very disciplined. I'm going to focus purely on Japanese whiskies and American whiskies, because that was an area I really thought I needed to explore. Read up on the event itself and pre-book any masterclasses or talks that you might want to attend. Sort out transport to and from the event. Come on, you're not thinking of driving because that's just a crazy idea. Find out what the taxi fare will be and write it down and take that with you. Only use a licensed taxi firm and preferably pre-book or ask if the organisers have got any special arrangements. Make sure you've got certain things with you. Obvious things like tickets, money. Preferably split that money up so it's not all just in one pocket. Any membership cards, etc. A pen and a notepad for making your whiskey notes but also for jotting down any little stories you pick up, contact details of people that you meet. 
make sure you've got a bag with you or a jacket with lots of pockets for leaflets etc and maybe a straw yep a straw now the idea of the straw is not to drink whiskey with it but it's there to add water with sometimes you might find that you're only given a small taster of the whiskey and that you might want to add a bit of water to it and adding that tiny little drop can be very difficult now one way is to use bottles of water with a sports top on it so you can just drip it out one drop at a time and another way is to drip a, a straw slightly into a jug of water put your finger over the top of the straw and use that to transfer it over to the whiskey or like me most of the time anyway just don't bother with the water make sure you also have the phone numbers of taxis hotel or any other contacts you may need put them in your phone as well as write them down and then make sure that your phone is fully charged make sure you don't have aftershave or scent on you won't need any and it's better and more respectful to keep the smells down so that the whiskey doesn't have to compete and trust me I don't care really what aftershave or what scent you normally wear the whiskey's going to smell better let's move on stage two actually at the event the first thing is don't panic you know when you first get there especially for the first event there's that risk of wanting to just dive in and try and drink it all it all looks so good it smells so good there's such a buzz going on and it's a it's a hard one to avoid doing so here's a good little tip that helps when you arrive and you've got your goodie bag go directly to a stand that's got a whiskey that you already know very well get a small sample of that whiskey and take it away with you nose it and slowly taste it now the reasons for this are many firstly it gives you time to check out what there is and what there isn't and where things are go around with this sample that you've got check the place out you've already got your rough plan and now is the time you can firm that plan up you can see what whiskies on your plan are there and where they are and you can also see what aren't there you can check out what surprises there are and build them into your plan and you can rearrange your plan so it follows a sensible route around the venue I shall talk about that a bit more in just a moment another reason for this first sample is that lots of festivals are held during the day and some people are not used to tasting whiskey in the morning and actually the morning is a very good time to do a tasting it can be a good idea to gently wake the palate with something that is known so that it gives a benchmark something you're familiar with that little reminder that you can then use to compare other things with now going back to planning your route around the venue a lot of this depends on your own preferences I quite like to move around a lot see if possible I will plot a route that sends me constantly from one end of the venue to the other and back again to and fro to and fro the reason for this 
is that it gives more chance to bump into people. It gives more chance to see what else is on offer. And it gives time for my palate to recover and some of my other senses to recover as well. It slows down the alcohol input rate. It gives space to be alone and to write notes or to contemplate, and it prevents the risk of starting at one end of the venue and just working round to the other end. See, this idea of starting at one end and just working your way round, it's seldom a good idea. It's not something that's based on any whiskey reasoning, and the reality is that you're not going to make it to the other end, and because of that you'll miss out on some real treasures. Instead of just going round the room, try and put some sense in the order that you taste by. I try to separate whiskies, not so much by the area or the nationality or anything like that, but by the longevity and the impact of the flavours. The more delicate flavoured whiskies get the morning time, when my palate is fresh and clear. The midday, that welcomes those whiskies that are, that are more oily or corny, like the American bourbons. The afternoon, now that's a fest of strong, powerful and peaty flavours. You do it the other way around, and the delicate whiskies, they just get lost. Now, remember that the whisky is only part of the event. Mingle with the people there. It gives you more time between the whiskies to refresh yourself, but also gives chance to share thoughts and to learn. If you are with a, a group, then it can be a good idea to split up and reform. Share notes and discoveries with each other. Spread out. Divide and conquer. Talk to people and ask questions. Doesn't matter how stupid, basic or strange they may be. Sometimes the answers can be surprising and most of the staff want to talk. The staff are there to promote their product. They don't want to just aimlessly dish out whiskey. They want to tell you about it. So, if you're going to talk and ask questions... You also need to listen. Don't just listen to the answers you get, but listen to others, including other people's conversations. Eavesdrop and join in. Be sociable. See, other people, they're going to be thinking of things that you don't think about and maybe have never even heard of. And it can be amazing that if you show real interest in a whiskey, how suddenly a little bottle of something special appears for you to try. Now that is why I said earlier on that bring your membership cards and it's a good idea to do this. Some distilleries, some companies have almost like a loyalty scheme where you can sign up to be a committee member or um, a friend or one of my favourites a guardian. Now I'm thinking here of the Glenlivet. See, they have been known in, occasionally to have a special bottle that's put to one side that is there only for the guardians. And they do a really nice membership card when you're a guardian. A lovely little credit size metallic card. You show that to the people at the Glenlivet stand and you never know that special bottle may appear for you.
Listen, as I'm saying, listen to people, listen to the stories, listen to the advice, but don't feel pushed into things. If someone insists that you try one more and you don't want to, then don't. Know your limits and stick to them. Also, don't feel that you have to take the advice from anyone. Listen to it, but don't feel you have to follow it. I can remember being at a stand along with a group of others. The stand had Big Pete, which is a blend of Ardbeg, Coela, Bowmore and Port Ellen. And it also had a 25-year-old Port Ellen, distilled in the winter of 1983 and bottled in the autumn of 2008. The advice was given to us all to try the Big Pete first and then the poor Ellen. I refused to do that and one other person in the group did so as well. We did it the other way around. We tried the poor Ellen, then the Big Pete. And what did we find out? We found out that that poor Ellen had a sophistication to it. It was a high-class dram, very good for special occasions, beautiful. The Big Pete, you know, that was really nice. That was a good, sociable, get-together dram. It was a good party dram. It was a good, come on everybody, let's have a whiskey dram. Now those who had the Big Pete first, they thought Big Pete was great. What do they think of Port Ellen? Not a lot. They got nothing from it. But to be honest, after having Big Pete, they most likely wouldn't get anything from a Vindaloo curry. Save your palate and save yourself. You can't try everything. So be selective and remember why you were there. Give yourself specific targets and within reason, stick to them within reason. Now then, the other thing I want to say is don't rush. That's easier said than done. But take your time with it. Take your time with the whiskey. Take your time with the talking. Take your time with the note-taking. Note-taking is very important. So take time over it. Keep the notes in order. Be clear. Use sensible terms that make sense. And don't use shorthanded terms that you will not remember. See, I can remember, after a tasting event once, a friend of mine had written just one word to describe a certain whiskey, and that word was shaved. Shaved. Do you know, we never worked out what it meant. Remember the masterclasses, or the talks that you've booked into. Maybe even set an alarm to remind you that they're on. I know that sounds silly, but trust me, once you've got into the atmosphere of a whiskey festival, once you've had a few samples, once you've really engaged into a conversation and you, you're planning ahead for the next one, to actually stop and think, oh, hang on, what's the time? Have I got a class? It's very easy for time to slip by. Drink plenty of water. You know, I'll be honest with you, I actually can't stand the stuff. But events like that, even I drink it. Water refreshes the palate. It slows you down. It hydrates you. Eat food. Stopping to have lunch is a 
good thing to do because lunch is a good time to take a breather, to review your notes, to review your plan and to have a good chat. See, I could, I could smell whiskey all day long. I could talk about whiskey all day long. But it's a good idea to have a break from it and to come back refreshed. And you'll, you'll remember more about the event as well. All these things I'm saying, they're so much easier to say than they are to do. Especially what I'm about to say now. Don't feel you need to taste every whiskey. It's quite okay to go to a stand, ask questions, etc., without even tasting the whiskey that's there. Especially if it's a whiskey that you've tasted before and you've, you're quite familiar with, but you've got questions. You don't have to taste that whiskey, especially if there's other ones that you haven't tasted. Save your palate, save yourself, try those other ones out. But don't think you have to try every whiskey that's there. You won't do it. And even if you do do it, by the time you get to the, the last one, or the last one you could manage, the first lot, in fact, maybe even all of them, you'll have forgotten about. It's not worth it. It's just an expensive way of getting a headache. When you go to a stand and they've got a selection of whiskies, and you're thinking to yourself, yes, I'm going to sample one of those, don't just go straight for the oldest or the most expensive. Neither of these characteristics mean that the whisky is the best one. Now, it may well be that it is the best one. It may well be that is the one that you've come especially to taste. But don't fall into the trap. When you see a group of whiskies, you're just thinking, the oldest one, that would be the best one. It's not always like that. There are whiskies that are far better drunk when they're young. And there are some whiskies that are better drunk when they're older. And there are some that are best drunk when middle range. Now... What do you want me to do here? Do you want me to give you a list of what whiskies are best older, what whiskies are best younger? I'm not going to do that, because I can't do that. There are so many whiskies out there, and there's so many more whiskies coming onto the market. I can't do that. I wouldn't know where to begin. So what are you going to do? I'll tell you what you do. You look out for new releases or limited editions try to pick out some of those that you won't get the chance to taste again unless of course you're tasting for the reason of thinking i want to try them to buy them the other thing you can do and this is a really good idea ask for advice as to which one to taste ask for the advice and try to listen to the reasoning behind it quite often you will tell whether or not the person who's given you that advice has just got some sales pitch or whether they're somebody who's got a true love for the whiskey and what they're doing is trying to share something special with you. You'll soon pick up which is which. You'll soon tell the difference. Now here's a good one. Don't feel you have to swallow the whiskey. You can taste more whiskies by not swallowing them and by spitting them out. There are professional tasters you know, who do this on a regular basis. They need to do that in order su to survive. You can't drink thousands of whiskies a year without it having some effect on you, some really detrimental effect. So what they have to do is find ways of coping with that, 
and one of the ways is not to swallow it but to spit it out. Some of the masters can get all they need to know just from nosing the whiskey. All the information they need comes from that. Now, personally, I'm not in that league. I wouldn't even begin to pretend that I am. I love smelling whiskey. There's great pleasure in doing it. I love tasting the whiskey. There's great pleasure in doing that. But I also like swallowing the whiskey. And there's fantastic pleasure in doing that. I don't drink thousands and thousands of whiskies a year. I don't have that responsibility for putting the fine details into a blending process for which the whole company's reputation hangs. What I've got is the responsibility to look after myself and to enjoy myself. So, personally, I would rather taste less whiskies and swallow them. But just because that's the way I am doesn't mean it has to be the way you are. And you could well be one of those sensible people that can taste lots of whiskies but spit out. Now, I want to say one more point about what to do actually at the event. And perhaps this is the most important point of all of them. And that is tell everyone just how great the Malted Muse podcast is or publicity is good. Hey, go on. Anyway, let's move on. Stage three, after the event. Okay, so the event's come to the end. You're about to leave. Make sure that you've got everything you should have. Your coat, phone, wallet, keys, notes, etc. Anything else that you've picked up you want to take with you, make sure you've got all those things. And make sure you've got every one that you should have. If you've gone with a group of people and you're supposed to be leaving with that group of people, make sure they're all there. Now, I'm not meaning to make it sound that I expect people to be just a group of drunkards. That's not what I mean. It's easy to get wrapped up in the moment with these whiskey festivals, especially your first one. It's like a dream come true. And before you know it, you're, you've separated from everybody else. You're enwrapped with a conversation. And people go and, you know, just have that little reminder. Have I got everything? Have we got everyone? Okay, let's move on to the next step. Be aware that alcohol stays in the system for some time, quite some time. And it is very hard to know how many units you've had at a whiskey festival. The measures that you get will most likely not be standard measures. And there's going to be a mix of ABVs. There's going to be some that are around 40%, and there's going to be some that could be up in the 60-plus percent really strong car-strength whiskies. You may well find it hard to keep track of what you've actually drunk. Um, see, I I think I'm okay with this. My notes are there. I write a note on every whiskey. All I need to do is count the whiskies by the notes, and it gives me some idea of how many I've had. But then again, is that that accurate? What if I've tasted one of the whiskies twice? What if I've gone back to it? Do I always write that down in my notes? What 
about the times when if I'm with a group of people, somebody would come up and say, oh, this is brilliant, have a little taste of this, and I have a little sip of theirs. That's more alcohol going in, and before you know it, even I've lost track. The best thing to do is play safe. Give yourself plenty of time to recover, even if that means including the following day as well. Travel safely to your accommodation. Do not drive. Okay? Do not drive. And do not let anyone else who has had a drink to drive either. Now, if you remember stage one, the preparation before the event, I suggested finding out how much a taxi back to wherever you're going will cost and writing it down. Get that note out. Check it. And when you go to your taxi, make sure that you can look at that and that you're not being overcharged. Have more to eat and also have some more to drink, non-alcoholic drink. And have a rest from alcohol for a few days. If you've got a partner who did not come with you, be nice to them. This is a time for flowers and chocolates, etc. Or at least a phone call to say, you're okay, you've had a good time. If you're going to go on to somewhere else, such as a club or a pub or whatever, then preset a budget, a limit to what you're going to spend, and do not go beyond it. Because I tell you now, it is so easy to get carried away with the moment. Because um, it's not just the alcohol, it's not just the whiskey, it is the atmosphere. And to me, that's been one of the great things about whiskey festivals, is that camaraderie that's there that lovely friendly buzz that is often in the room and that buzz can lift you up it can carry you through and before you know it you're being a bit more generous than you normally are or perhaps more than you can afford so set yourself a limit don't go beyond it and be prepared for the whole world to think that you're drunk no matter how sober you are Okay, you may have only had one or two. You may have, for some reason, thought, I'm not going to drink any whiskey, I'm going to go for other aspects of it. And there are people like that, you know. There are people who are there because they're working. But if, like me, as happened on one occasion, you lose your car keys. Now, what am I doing with my car keys at a whiskey event? Uh, okay, I wasn't going to drive. Okay, I want that one to be clear. I had driven to the event I'd parked the car with me was a friend and both my wife and his wife I had the keys after the event we were going to get a taxi we were meeting up I was going to hand her the keys she hadn't been drinking she was going to drive I lost the keys and I think to be all honest with you I lost them on the tube from the car park to the event the moment you tell people, however, you've been to a whiskey event, the presumption is you'd lost them because you're drunk. You've got to be prepared for that, okay? Don't get upset about it. You say to anybody, I've spent the whole day at a whiskey event tasting whiskey, what are they going to think? Anyway, that's about it. If anybody else has got any other tips, please let me know. The reality is this, handle the event well 
and you will have a great time. Handle it wrong. And let's be serious for a moment. Handle it wrong and you could have a life-ending disaster. It is as simple as that. Now, I prefer the first option. It's a lot more fun. The choice, however, is yours. But I have to be honest. I don't think I've ever actually been to a whiskey festival and seen somebody ridiculously drunk. Whiskey festivals are much more than that. They are wonderful places. Now, if you're about to go to your first one, do enjoy it. If you're going to go to your 100th one, enjoy that as well. And I hope one day, at some point, maybe I'll meet you at one. A few episodes ago, when I first started doing podcasts, I read out some feedback that I'd got. And uh, it was mainly a very poor attempt on my behalf to be a bit jokey. However, since starting my website and my podcast, I have had some encouraging emails. Gavin Smith, for example, well-known whiskey writer, he emailed me saying, I think your site looks great and I wish you all the best with it. You know, (laughs) that's fantastic. Thank you for that, Gavin. Neil Wilson, whiskey writer, He emailed me saying, keep up the good work. And that really means a lot. Mark Gillespie, who does the uh, Whiskeycast podcast, of which I'm a great fan, emailed me saying, you have a great concept for your website. You know, guys, all that stuff, it means so much to me. And I mustn't forget, I also had a comment from a young lady called Molly who said, Why would anyone want to listen to two old men getting drunk? Well, Molly's father is a man called John, and he's the man who tasted the Glen Turret and the Brook Laddie with me. Now, when we did the Brook Laddie tasting, after the Brook Laddie tasting, John and I had another whiskey. We had some Lafray quarter cask. So, Molly, I hope you enjoy listening to this. Dollop, yeah, you, you've been very generous <laughs> with this. I'm not complaining though. After the little bits I've been pouring out, my um, yeah. scientific samples. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Lafroy quarter catch. So we're still on Islay, but we've moved mm-hmm. to the Lafroy. Now I reckon you're going to find this to be the peatiest one you've had tonight. Right, okay. Well, the nose is. Uh, no. Slight hint of the peat. I'm picking up more than a hint of peat, but it's a definite peat. Mm. I found with the Brooklady peat that it was, um, you knew it was peat, but as I said, it's like a refined peat. It wasn't like, it was the peat, but not all the peat. Whereas this, this is all the peat. This is more like the smell I was getting from waves, Mm. the Brooklady waves. Yeah, it's quite a clean smell, isn't it? Yeah, not yeah. two years before. Hmm. And again, a nice, rich colour, not overly dark, but um, certainly full. Beautiful legs to it. So I actually love this whiskey because I think this is one of the, the best quality, everyday priced 
whiskies that you can get. Oh, that's so nice. That's um, it is. It's peatier than the Brewery peat, isn't it? More pronounced peat, peat taste. That is peat. The moment you take it into your mouth, as you swallow it, it's peat. As you breathe out afterwards, it's peat. And it's only when that peat starts to break down, you then start picking out the other flavours. What like else there. do you pick up in that? Well, there's a saltiness to it to start off with. Mm. There's a slight nuttiness to it. To smell of seaweed. But it's not a sweet nut. Do you know what I mean? It's um. How it differs from the from the Brookwaddy Peat is that um, you almost felt that um, you could chew that one, whereas this is this is smoother somehow. I'll tell you what I think this is this John. I think the difference between this or one of the differences between this and the Brookladdy Peak is in many ways I think this is more rounded. It has because it has more of the peak spectrum to it, it it has those lower notes in the peak spectrum. Mm. And I think the Brookladdy Peak was the top notes, if that makes sense. It was the, the sharpness of the peat and the antiseptic quality of the peat. Because of course peat smoke originally would have been used in cooking as well, wouldn't it? I mean I know this is Scottish whiskey, but I always think of Arden with peat anyway. It always takes me over to Arden because, mm. you know, I mean I've, I've said in episodes before about my father-in-law's farm over there, and of course the first time I ever went there you were with me. Mm. And lighting that peat fire and the room filling up with peat smoke <laughs> to the point where you could hardly see. That bloke walking in. The bloke walking yeah, Robert Smith. Suddenly appearing out of nowhere. You couldn't see our hands in front of our face. Yeah. Good. But uh, because the cottage was uh, so old, I think it was just the peat smoke, peat smell was just embedded in it. Oh, it? yeah. 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 But it stayed with you, you as well, though, because. I mean, I can remember the first few times I went there, we used to go over there across on the ferry, and uh, I used to try the wafts of smoke into my rucksack. Not thinking I could take the smoke home with me, but I just wanted my rucksack. The aroma. Yeah, I wanted it to be completely yeah. impregnated yeah. with that smell. So that even when I got home, for about a couple of weeks afterwards, if I opened up my rucksack, you get that whiff. A little waft of peat would come out of it. Fantastic, wonderful. I'll tell you something I do find strange about Quartercast, though, being serious, is what do you taste from it? What is the main thing you get from it? And for me, it is that seaside, that blend of seaside and peat. But of course, the, the thing about Quartercast, the reason it's Quartercast, is because the casks are smaller. Mm. Yeah, and it gets more contact with the wood. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. But are you picking up a flavour of wood? Not really. No. no. What what you, what's actually happening is is not that you're picking up a flavour of the wood. It doesn't taste oaky. But you're you're getting the benefit from that process. The side effects of being close to the wood, aren't you? 
it's that the the way that the wood leaches out the the not so nice flavors and compounds substitutes them for other things the the wood has in no those the fish yeah this no not pretty not to interrupt you because we wish to do that but um the point the point of having the wood casks is because they do absorb things don't they mm. the wood absorbs and it's the absorption back into the whiskey that produces the flavour, isn't it? And not necessarily the wood itself, which I can't, you know, wouldn't have much of a flavour. It's the fact that there were sherry casks or bourbon casks mm -hmm. or whatever, and you're getting some of that flavour leaching back into the mm -hmm. liquor, aren't you? That's, that's where the flavour comes from. Mm -hmm. And with, uh, with the Islay whiskies, it's the, uh, the pea that's used to. To malt the, uh, yeah, to, to dry the malt out and so forth. I guess, yes, But you know that 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 peat flavour, peat scent, as it were. Like we were saying before, you know, with the cottage, you know, it's it's just all pervading. It's there all the time. And it's, gosh, it's, it's permeated everything. Yeah, when we were in that cottage and it was so smoky. If you looked up the chimney, there were hooks. And of course, in the old days, in the days of yore, they'd hang things up on that, wouldn't they? And they would slowly cook, and they they'd be smoked by the peat and or preserved to preserve. Yeah, them. as a preserving mm. thing. And in a way, you can almost get that sense from this whiskey as well of that that it's got that strong antiseptic, pungent quality to it that really gets into into your pores really I mean, you can take a sip of this half an hour later you can still be tasting it and it, it I can so much feel that sense of yeah this could be done as a preservative you could rub this into your skin you'd never get old <laughs> so what we're trying to do you know well yeah is get it. eternal life from yeah. the inside I mean, well I always feel a lot younger after I've had a few of these yeah certainly makes you feel better but it is a strong flavour and that peatiness is so strong that it is you said to me earlier on what other flavours do you pick up from it and it's only after a while that and this is one of the things I love about it it, it can take a while which is what actually makes it very good value for money as well you, you spend your however much it is per bottle but you pour yourself out a measure and that measure can last a long, long time. And even when you finished it, you still carry on getting more and more mm -hmm. things. And it's only after a bit of a while that I then start getting this very strong. Do you remember toffos? Oh yeah, yeah, those mm -hmm. those round, sweet toffees. Mm. It's like a toffo, like a soft scent. Yeah, soft toffee, soft mm. scented toffee. Just the right flavour, I don't know to be honest. I've seen those for a long time. Yeah. But that sort of a flavour, it's, it's it's in there, but it, it takes its time to come out. We've had some little, nice whiskies tonight. We have actually. I've probably uh, had enough now, I wouldn't want to drink after, you know. No. I've probably had enough now because I think anything else would be superfluous mm. to what I've drunk now. And this brings us back to the idea of mature drinking mm. and responsible drinking. Because some people say about talk about responsible drinking, and I think they do it in the way of don't drink and drive. 
that element, mm. which is absolutely right. I'm not mm. knocking that at all, but I think responsible drinking is more than that, and that responsible drinking is also that level of um, no, I've had enough now. If I have any more, it will spoil it. Mm. Or if I now go and have another whiskey that costs God knows how many pounds per bottle, I'm not going to appreciate that to its that's full. That's it. Yes, I think that's right. It's 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 almost because it is um, an expensive hobby that you think to yourself, uh, well, if I if I carry on drinking this, I'm not going to appreciate it, am I? I'm not going to derive any more pleasure from it. I've probably got as much as I, I need. Which is why I think one of the reasons why I think it's nice to have a range mm. of whiskies on the market, from those that are pretty cheap mm. to those that are really expensive. Mm. But I, I, mean, I think there's something to do with the sort of stage of your life you get to as well, where you don't feel the need to go out and get bladded. Mm. Uh, you see, the issue with with kids is the peer group pressure, isn't it? Predominantly, you know, kids egging each other on to drink more mm. and more to see what the effect would be. And you get to a point where you know we're, we're of an age where we think, well, we don't need that anymore. You know, we've drunk as much as we like. We're nice. We're pleasantly, pleasantly inebriated, you know, without being uh, particularly drunk. But this is this is one of the things about Isla whiskies. And you may disagree with me here as well, but other other peaty whiskies like the Connemara mm. doesn't necessarily have to be a peaty whisky, but I think it's more so with the peaty whiskies, where or any of the whiskies where you've got a lovely long finish and aftertaste to them, where you get that little private state in your mouth, mm. where the flavour is continuing on, but it's nicely balanced. And you can just sit back quietly and just privately enjoy it. Mm. And we can talk. And even as we're talking, or we're doing this, we're doing that, I'm still getting those flavours, and I can really enjoy mm. them still. Yeah. And to pour more stuff down your throat, A, you don't appreciate the stuff you're pouring down your throat, but also you have that risk that you're going to disturb that lovely little balance of flavours that is still going on in your mouth anyway. Mm. You don't. You don't need to do no, that. So this will continue with you for quite a while. So, for example, you could go off and have a cup of coffee or something like that, mm. and you'd still be able to taste yeah. it. Yeah. And it'll stay with you for several hours. Okay then, Molly. So who wants to listen to a couple of old men getting drunk? Well, first of all, we weren't getting drunk. And secondly, I'll tell you somebody who wanted to listen. Mark Rainier, Managing Director of Brook Laddie Distillery. And I know that because shortly after recording this episode, he emailed me. Luckily, before I actually sent it out. So I'm slipping this little bit in. He emailed me and he said, Jim, just listen to your episode of the Malted Muse podcast featuring The Rocks, Waves and Pete. It makes for interesting listening and precisely what we want folk to do. Discuss, compare and contrast our single malts, as well as simply enjoy them. Couple of points that might be of use. Rocks was indeed conceived as an aperitif dram, one that because of the complexity of its makeup and vatting 
can support the addition of ice. Personally, I drink it often with as much cold spring water from the fridge instead of ice as whiskey, which, being natural, non-chill filtered and caramel free, amazingly does not dilute the flavour, but does reduce the strength. Here on Isla, whiskey is consumed in similar situations as tea is elsewhere. Any time of day when visitors drop in, mid-afternoon, after a long walk or working in the garden, etc. Consequently, we want a dram that is more fruit-orientated, soft, light, easy to drink and not too demanding, and above all is refreshing with all the coastal Isla whisky flavours. Waves is going to have a lower peating level than currently, diminishing to an almost negligible level. Peat will ultimately be replaced by the new, recently released multi-vintage Port Charlotte bottling. Brook Laddie is poetically and somewhat vacuously referred to as Bray by the Shore. As a reference point, and names were given to identify specific points, it is pretty vague, since the whole of Lochindal's coast is a bray by the shore. The bank located on the northern shore and upon which the distillery's warehouses sit is geologically a raised beach, a bank of sand and pebbles. Even this is not that specific though, as it runs most of the length of the north coast to the head of the loch, I feel that there is a third possibility, bank of the dangerous rocky lee shore, for uniquely at Brookladdy the shore is both very shallow and there are many rocks breaking the surface close to the shore, making it a hazardous place to land in prevailing conditions. Trust this helps, our new website at the end of the year will make this clear, Mark. Well, thank you very much for that, Mark. I must confess, when I got home, opened the post, saw that email, it made my day. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay, I would like to give you a quick update on my daughter, Kira's charity, Timbuktu Challenge. This is where she will be travelling from England to Timbuktu over desert, more desert, and through an awful lot of danger by road in just three weeks um, and the car supposed to cost less than 100 pounds or up to 100 pounds limit with only 25 pounds to do it up this is to raise money for two charities one is plan who help children in 48 of the world's most poorest countries and the other is the british heart foundation whose research benefits the whole world well, since my last episode, she's been actually given a car, which is being made ready for the journey, and she's now started kitting it out. And all is getting ready for that journey to start in January 2011. Now, okay, the journey starts in 2011, but all the donations go straight to the charities, and they go to those charities now straight away the moment that they are donated and that means that they can use that money straight away so please don't wait until january the 2011 donate the money now 
let the charities get on and use it. Now, if you were somebody waiting to be benefited from that money, you don't want to wait till January, do you? You want it as soon as you can. So please donate now. Now, if you if you are, do want to donate and you want to donate to plan, this is how you can do it. You go onto the website, www.justgiving.com slash spirit of a star. If you want to donate to the British Heart Foundation, visit www.justgiving.com slash timbuktu-challenge and you can donate the money there and then. Simple as anything, and it helps people. Please do it. Whilst on the subject, I'd also like to say a thank you to three people who are now considered to be friends of mine, and they are the crew of another podcast called The Scotchcast, and they gave some airtime for an appeal on my daughter's behalf. Their podcast is free. You can get it down from iTunes as well as other places. It's worth a listen. It comes out once a month. I listen to it at least once a month. To be honest, it's one of those podcasts that I listen to much more than just once. Um, very entertaining, very informative, and um, it is a, it's a good listen. So thank you guys for that. I do appreciate it. Oh, if anybody's got any tips about how to survive a whiskey festival, if anybody's got any comments, advice, criticisms, anything like that, please contact me, jim at themaltedmuse.com. And if I think they're good advice, good tips, I'll put them into, the, into a future episode, I'll put them on the website, and I'll give credit to whoever gives me those advice tips. Thank you ever so much for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.